Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. This week's podcast episode is brought to you by you, the listeners. A big thank you to everyone that's contributed a dollar or more per episode via my subscription-based funding platform at patreon.com slash oceanallison. The Ocean and I greatly appreciate your support. For those of you that haven't, visit patreon.com slash oceanallison to watch my video and learn more about how you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. And now to this week's episode. This week's Ocean Advocate is Sean Bogle. Sean is a wildlife conservation filmmaker and the director of Wild Lens's latest award-winning film, Searching for the Vaquita, the world's most endangered marine mammal. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hello, Allison. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, very excited to talk with you today about all of your amazing conservation work, especially the vaquita, like I mentioned, the world's most endangered marine mammal. So the more publicity we can get for the vaquita, the better. And, and what you're doing to help it is is amazing. So like in the intro, I mentioned, Sean, that you work for Wild Lens. You're part of their team and you're the project director of their Eyes on Conservation project. So can you just give listeners a little bit of background before we get started talking about the vaquita, you know, what is Wild Lens all about? And also kind of your side of things with Eyes on Conservation, the Wild Lens project. So Wild Lens is, of course, a nonprofit wildlife documentary organization, and it consists of biologists and filmmakers. So we all have dual backgrounds in um, wildlife conservation biology, as well as filmmaking. And essentially the idea behind the organization was to take a lot of the information that we are gathering in the field on a lot of the conservation projects that we work on and translating that in a format uh, video uh, so that we could share this with the general public. And I guess my specific role in Wildlands, you know, as acting project director of Eyes on Conservation Series is that I, I seek out and try to collaborate with individuals, um, whether that be wildlife researchers, so biologists or citizen scientists or other general organizations that are on the front lines of conservation to share their efforts, expose their efforts, and then support them. And that level of collaboration only strengthens the cause on both ends. So it's a multifaceted relationship. And not only can we expose more subject matter in the the world of conservation, but also we end up working together so that we can have a more robust and heavier positive impact for our planet's future. Also, like I mentioned in the intro, Wild Lens's latest film, Searching for the Vaquita, you actually just were at Blue Ocean Film Festival and Conservation Summit in November of 2016, and the film actually won Best Short there, which is an amazing honor. I've attended Blue in 2015, and yeah, I know the caliber of films that are there, so definitely congrats on winning that award. Thank you. Yeah, and so before we get into kind of what the film is about, obviously it's about the vaquita, but it's about the issues surrounding the vaquita. Can you 
describe to listeners that maybe have never heard of Vaquita? Because it is surprising how many people have never heard of the Vaquita. Describe the Vaquita to listeners. You know, what does it look like? What's their typical behavior? And where are they found? Okay, so um, really, one of the other reasons is not to just bring the plight of the vaquita with the story, but I mean, the fact that people aren't aware of the species itself is, is huge, including people in Mexico, which is where it resides, is the only place that it lives. And the vaquita is on the spectrum of cetaceans, the smallest. So everybody's pretty familiar with a blue whale, um, and it being the largest mammal on the planet. Well, the vaquita is on the opposite end of that spectrum. So it is the smallest cetacean in that group and measuring to be only about five feet long as an adult. And vaquita are porpoise, so not a dolphin. And I'm not sure you know, if people can distinguish between the two. Dolphins usually have a beak, so an elongated snout. And porpoises have more of a blunt snout on their, on their face. Vaquita specifically, though, look very different than other porpoise. They are very unique with their markings. They are grayish, and they have black eye rings, much like a panda, which is where they've coined the phrase panda of the sea. And then they have a really, really interesting black lip liner right around their mouth. And they're very, very cryptic creatures. They're very shy in that they don't actually jump out of the water, much like the showmanship of dolphins. Um, or even other larger cetaceans, they essentially they surface for about three to four seconds, and then they go back down underneath the water, and uh, they don't reappear, uh, typically in the same area. So there's no system or behavior that you could define to be able to deliberately go out and sight them. It's really just right place, right time uh, sort of thing. Um, and they live only in the upper gulf of California, right there where the Colorado River dumps into the Sea of Cortez. It's, it's a really unique location, and it's a very unique species, and that's why these animals are so threatened, because it's this micro world that they're living in, and because it's being heavily impacted by, well, a variety of things, mostly fishing, it's why this, this area needs to not only be protected, but that species also um, needs to be protected considering its, its current status. To give listeners an idea of how dire the situation is, you know, when we're saying that it's an endangered animal, an endangered marine mammal, to give listeners an actual idea of what we're talking about, how many vaquitas are thought to be in the wild as of today, you know, fall 2016? Well, I can't give you an exact number. Based on what we, or should I say, the Committee for the International Recovery of the Vaquita, the acronym would be CERVA. That's the group that actually does the, the research uh, in order to find out what these numbers were. We went out with them on their most recent survey, and that's, of course, what is in the film that we recently released. And from that survey, as of last November, so the survey ended November 2015, the number at the very end of that was 60 individuals. Now, with that said, one of the issues that's contributing to the decline of the vaquita is the fishery for Tatuaba, which I'm sure you'll get you'll get into that. But in regards to numbers now where we stand, so we are now a year later since we last got those numbers, in March of 2016, there were three dead vaquita discovered during the height of this illegal fishing period. And 
That doesn't mean that you take 60 and you subtract three, and that's the number that you have. You must remember that those are only the three individuals that were discovered. It's highly likely that there were more um, that were impacted by this illegal fishery. And so the numbers are probably even less than 60. To be clear for listeners, he's saying six zero sixty individual vaquitas and, and now most likely even fewer. So I read a statistic online that there's been more than a 90% decline in the vaquita population since around 1997. You were just touching a little bit on, you know, illegal fishing of the Tatuava fish. What are the main causes for such a drastic decline in 20 years about? What are the main causes? The number is actually 92% decline. So still that that 2% still has a huge impact under that period of time. So the basic the very the simplest thing that has been impacting vaquita is the use of gillnets in artisanal fishing practices that are used in the region. So gillnets have been used for a long period of time. It is not the original method that was used when these fishing communities were developed in this region. So typically, this area was completely untouched until people discovered that there was a lucrative, at the time, seemed sustainable future for them. And that's when these fishing communities developed in that area. And then they went from, essentially, they used to use uh, trawl nets. But then when gill nets were created, they found that obviously, they're a much easier and more efficient thing to use. So they've been using gill nets ever since. And so vaquita, nobody's deliberately fishing for vaquita. Vaquita are strictly bycatch. I would probably say that some of the fishermen that we actually interviewed they um, used to eat vaquita, but it wasn't intentional. They figured that if we were, we were going to accidentally keep it, we would actually go ahead and eat the flesh. And that's actually where they get their name from, vaquita meaning cow, because when they would extract the backstrap off of the vaquita, it had the same red texture as beef. So hence the name vaquita, you know, Spanish for little cow. So gillnets would be the prime tool that is being used that is actually capturing them. But the reasons why, you know, what fisheries are being used for gillnets, of course, shrimp, they harvest shrimp, big, big, beautiful blue shrimp come from this region, which are heavily prized in in Southern California. There's a large demand of that in affluent communities. They also have brown shrimp as well. But then this uh, fishery for Tatuaba would be the other reason that it has kind of compounded the issue for the vaquita on top of the shrimp fishery. And because the Tatuaba fishery lasts roughly about five to six months out of a year. And why are these Tatuaba being fished? Well, they're being fished for their swim bladders. So historically, Tatuaba, hence again, what I was saying about the people moving to this region, as far as there being a substantial amount of seafood for them to harvest, the Tatuaba were used and caught for sustenance back in the day. Since then, there has been a interest in China for their swim bladders, and so that's kind of shifted now. So nobody is actually fishing Tatuaba for sustenance. They simply want it for its uh, swim bladder, and a swim bladder is the organ inside of a fish that allows the fish buoyancy to, to float in water, and that bladder is sought after because it's believed to have medicinal purposes in China by consumers. To kind of dive into the film Searching for the Vaquita a bit more, you talked about how Wild Lens, the team, and for Eyes on Conservation as well, you're a team of 
filmmakers and scientists and conservationists, you know, kind of all wrapped into one. What is it like being at the heart of this issue and in particular with the vaquita, you know, in order to make a film, you really have to be in touch with scientists and government officials and the fishermen that are fishing for these tatuaba and shrimp and you know what is it like being kind of all of that rolled up into one not just a filmmaker well my background personally compared to the other guys in the group i'm i'm the only one in the group that works in the marine world the other guys typically are avian biologists and so a a lot of the research that i've done in the field has been working with marine mammals uh, specifically pinnipeds so seals and sea lions. And as of recent, a lot of my research, the research projects that I work on are in Alaska. I currently work with northern fur seals in Alaska, and I work on the Pribilof Islands, which is in the middle of the Bering Sea, on an Aleut community that's out there. So there's um, indigenous people that live on these islands that also rely on fishing. So I'm not foreign to the idea of communities that survive off of fishing in these really remote locations and the impacts that they have on other uh, marine life. So because I'm coming from that background really is what made me want to pursue something that I was familiar with, but not exactly in the world that I, I operate in when I'm doing research. I guess the niche or the edge that that gives not only myself, but us as an organization, because we actively are involved in research as well, it helps us tell the story. It allows us to see it from a scientific viewpoint but then realize that, you know, that sometimes very difficult area for scientists to know how to communicate to the general public. And so having the film background on top of that allows us to be able to extract that information and know how we need to talk to the general public being, of course, an audience. And then in turn, knowing that method, you know, and this is science communication we're talking about, knowing that method helps us, you know, whatever subject matter that may be. Um, whether it's marine or whether it's terrestrial species we're, we're speaking of, it helps us be able to convey that message just because we have that basic understanding of like, okay, this is the science element. And then I can't regurgitate that type of science jargon to the general public. So I'm going to have to shape it in such a way that they were, that it's easier to digest, not just to simply explain what the subject matter is, but how to motivate and uh, activate the audience so that they can start caring about some of these issues. So it's it's an education slash advocacy type approach. And I think that because we have these dual backgrounds, it definitely helps us uh, been able to achieve both those items. Yeah. And so in talking about motivation, you know, I want to kind of get into motivation that what actions different groups involved are taking and you know, what ones they can take. So I want to start out with the fishermen that actually live in this area on the coast in the northern part of the Sea of Cortez. What actions are the fishermen taking in all of this? What's their stance? What are they trying to do to help or not help the situation surrounding the vaquita? Okay, well, I first want to say this. Before we started this project, I did an extensive amount of research just trying to get the lay of the land to find out exactly what the media had been reporting for so many years. And what I noticed was there was a lot of repeated headlines. And for the most part, the fishermen were clumped together and they were all demonized. And I thought that, you know, one, that sounds exactly what, you know, what the media does. They just clump everything together. And it wasn't until I actually went down there because that's when that was the definitive moment that I was like, okay, 
I can't keep reading these headlines over and over again because actually it's teaching me absolutely nothing. So I drove down there and I stayed down there for multiple weeks just so that I could get a better sense of really what the issue was about. And instead of getting my stuff from a third party source, honestly, the firsthand information, it's so different than what the media is reporting. Um, they just kind of throw a blanket over all of it. A lot of it was not very fair to a variety of the people that are involved. The fishing communities are extremely fragmented down there. The fishermen are not all on the same side or on the same page. The towns that are involved, these fishing communities, those are also fragmented. So you have this fragmentation and this disconnect between each fishing community. And then within each fishing community, you still have that fragmentation. And so there's a variety of different opinions about what the issue is. And a, a lot of it is it depends on whatever the individual's agenda actually might be, as well as what information they may have. A lot of the people there don't have access to a certain amount of information, let alone the information they are receiving may not be the full story. So they go ahead and just simply respond based on the information they have. And that's where the problems start to arise. There are some fishermen that are pro vaquita that have pretty much hung up their nets and are not are using artisanal fishing methods and are embracing and challenging new alternative fishing methods. You have fishermen that don't believe in the vaquita. They actually think that it's a myth because they haven't personally seen it. And then you have other fishermen that kind of go back and forth on the fence and say that they believe it. And then they say that they don't believe it. And a lot of them, for the most part, are illegal fishermen. And again, I'm not saying all. I mean, there, there are some good fishermen. It's just unfortunate that the media focuses on, you know, whatever the headline seems strongest. And that would be that, oh, all fishermen are legal fishermen. And that's not even close to being the case, which essentially you'll see in our, our next film. In terms of the government, you know, the government in that region of Mexico, what actions are they taking or have they taken to try to help the situation? And I know this is also touched on in your film. Well, the baseline, pretty much what you'll read anywhere and what you'll see in the film is that in 2015, June or so it was, the Mexican government announced a two-year ban on gill nets in the biosphere reserve. And I know this is difficult without actually having a viewer look at a map, but the region consists of a reserve, okay, like a refuge. And then within that refuge, there is another, a smaller reserve for the vaquita. So you have the biosphere reserve, right, that protects the general area. And then you have a vaquita refuge that is within that reserve. And the vaquita refuge, there is zero fishing. You can do no fishing of any kind. Doesn't matter if it's with a hand line or whether it's the gill net or whether with a, a trawler, you can't, you just can't fish in those regions. But outside that, in the biosphere reserve, you're also not allowed to fish except for trawlers. So there's there's all these layers to it. it there's nothing black and white about this issue. But the Mexican government they put a two-year ban in this region where that nobody could use gill nets. They then, with that ban, they started a compensation program where they said that if you turn in your panga, a panga is, is what they call boats down there, fishing boats, and you did not use gill nets, that um, they would compensate you the amount of money that you would make in a year based on how many fishing permits that you would have. And that seems like a really grand idea. You figure, okay, well, now we're going to stop fishing. Nobody's going to go out, and we're going to give these people the money that they would make if they were fishing, well, that causes a lot of problems. The first problem that that actually causes and why that doesn't really work uh, or why it hasn't worked is 
because a lot of these guys with this competition program have not been paid at all. And why that's so, nobody has any idea. Um, as long as we've been down there talking to fishermen, there are some fishermen that have been paid, but most of them have not been paid. And one of the discoveries that was made last year by Alex Oliveira from the Center for Biological Diversity, he asked for the records for exactly how much money was allotted to these fishermen and who had been paid. And he found out essentially that the majority of the money was going to a small fraction of the fishermen. But that small fraction was claiming so many permits that they were actually absorbing most of that money. So knowing that, it says that there's no oversight, which means that there's this money sitting in the bank and the government's not actually monitoring that money and how it's being distributed. So that's level one corruption right there. But then when you don't have people that are fishing and are not getting paid, essentially there's nothing else for these people to do in this community. Fishing is it. If you starve them out like that, then that's when they become desperate. And then that's when this illegal fishery comes in. The Tetuaba was listed as an endangered species back in 1975. And since then, because it's still on the list, although we don't have current numbers of what that may be, but it's still listed, people are deliberately going out and you know illegally fishing for an endangered fish. And then the outcome of that is that they're accidentally catching vaquita. Because it's happening in such great numbers, uh, essentially it's a double extinction. So clearly this is a very complex situation, one that you seem to be very well versed on. And it is clearly really troubled. There's all these kind of compounding layers of bad things going on in this region in terms of, you know, the people that live there as well as the marine life that calls that area home. So my next question in terms of action and groups of individuals is for our listeners today. What can they do to help make the situation better and to potentially reverse the threat of extinction for these vaquita? When we started, when we started this project, that was the question that we asked ourselves too. What is the ask? If you finally have the attention of a bunch of people and they and they want to do something, what do you tell them? You know, we thought long and hard, and honestly, there is there is no one thing. It's it's such a multifaceted thing that the vaquita issue has got to be attacked from a variety of different angles, and it needs some real passionate and persistent campaigns built around it. But as an individual, there are several things. You know, the first thing I would say is because there's nothing else in these regions for people to do, go down there to the region. One, I always think it's better to firsthand see the story yourself. But most importantly, it's a beautiful area. And if you could go down them and support them in other ways, whether they could make money, say, in ecotourism or there's restaurants down there, if they could realize that there's enough people coming down there to support these communities, they wouldn't feel like they have to actually go fishing. Fishing is just simply one. It's what they've always done. So it's kind of like it's they enjoy doing it. But the reason that they continue to do it is because they're desperate. They need to feed their families. So this isn't about them versus a vaquita. This is about coexisting. In addition to just supporting the local communities, if you're wanting to, say, donate money to maybe alternative fishing gear, because obviously they're probably going to continue fishing, you know, help support the movement of creating alternative fishing gear, which there's all kinds of gears being built right now. 
there's outreach, there's sharing this story in your local community, because just as you said, nobody knows what a vaquita is. So it's much like the domino effect. If we're having this conversation now on the podcast and one of your listeners wants to take it a step further, the next thing is to tell their friend or to tell their children or to tell their parents and so on and so on. And then eventually more people will know about it. And then when more people know about it, they then can react. They can activate. That's essentially the first thing is the outreach education component. And so in terms of what listeners can do on the side of eating habits, you know, you mentioned shrimp being consumed a lot in the Southern California region. And what can listeners do in terms of that, do you think? One, this in this blank, it's all all seafood. A consumer should always be aware of what they're purchasing and what they're uh, ingesting. I mean, that's just, to me, it may not seem like a no-brainer to many, but don't just buy whatever it is just because it's in front of you. And I honestly, I don't even, I would never even trust many of the labels that are printed in stores because many of the items that we have and we permit in our own country, especially seafood, comes from abroad. And a lot of that stuff is coming from Asia. And unfortunately, you know, there's the Marine Mammal Act that was created to protect marine species. So that means whatever activities occur around them, they're going to be protected. And that's supposed to be globally. But unfortunately, some of the methods that are used abroad do have an impact on marine mammals. And that's the bycatch issue there. And then, of course, that stuff gets sent here, but it never gets reported. So essentially, you are supporting organizations or businesses by purchasing their items because they're telling you whatever it is in the label and you're not questioning exactly how it was caught or where it came from. There are programs out there that will identify exactly what these species are that are sustainable and what you should be aware of. Essentially, your diet should be dictated by sustainability, not just because you want to eat it because you can. We don't live in that world anymore. That's a method that we need to change. So, you know, education is very important and knowing what that is exactly and, you know, and and taking initiative and being proactive. I don't know if many viewers are familiar with the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch program. They essentially have a really well-developed program in identifying what species are sustainable and what you should eat, what you should not eat. And then they have these different guides that are seafood-specific to regions in North America. And so right now, we're trying to develop one for the Baja Sea of Cortez region. But right now, there there is nothing that if you're buying something from that region – that you can guarantee that it's not harming other species. So, you know, I guess the long answer would be is that you you should definitely educate yourself on where your seafood's coming from and not just accept what those labels say. Yeah, because, you know, if you're going to be eating seafood that maybe was caught in the region that the vaquita inhabits or seafood from any other region, a similar thing might be happening to another animal that's not the vaquita and not in that region. But, you know, it's kind of all telling the same story. And in this case, the vaquita story is seemingly more dire than others. But yeah, just being a more informed consumer in terms of what you're eating that's coming from the ocean. I definitely agree with that advice. And so I want to ask you... You know, we've been talking a lot about kind of the complexities of the issue surrounding the threat of extinction for the vaquita. To you personally, why fight against extinction of an animal? And that might sound like a silly question. Many people that, you know, maybe don't have a similar mindset as us as conservationists ask questions like that, you know, who cares if an animal goes extinct? So, you know, for you personally, why fight against it? Anybody that says, why fight against it? What that says to me 
is you're thinking that extinction means that or this particular case is, is a natural event. It's not. It was caused by man. One hundred percent. With that, this is this is human interference of old methods, which, you know, we made a mistake, but we didn't have the foresight back then. I mean, humans just somehow that's one of those portions of us that is not that well developed. But now that we do know, we cannot ignore once we realize something, we can't just ignore it at that point because that's shame on us otherwise um, as a species, because if we're going to claim that we're the most intelligent creature on the planet and then we're just going to ignore some of our most impacting actions that we do, then I just I don't know how we stand proud or even idle to having that type of complacency. I, I just I don't understand that. And so the other thing is what that says to me. You say, well, why bother? You know, I've heard this before with other species, you know, the California condor, even elephant seals. If you sit there and just shrug your shoulders and thinking like, well, they're already so close. If we just let them go, it's fine. You know, there's a lot of money that's being dumped into this. So these surveys cost money. Um, these campaigns cost money. They take time. A lot of these people, including ourselves, I mean, we don't, we don't get paid to do this. We do this because we want to do this. I mean, I have a job. We all have other incomes. We do this because we know that it's important and this is the role that we want to play. But if we sit there and we just shrug our shoulders and we give up and we say, well, everything's just so close, eventually we're not going to have any species if we take that approach. And I cannot imagine living on a planet with zero biodiversity. I just can't. I just I don't understand why you'd want to even get up in the morning. Essentially, I guess that would be no different than you standing in the middle of a Walmart parking lot, cold cement for miles no birds singing no bugs no 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 butterflies nothing zero you just you would just be hearing all man-made products it seems like a very very sad world to me if, if it was going to be like that yeah agreed and the vaquita is just one example of a reason to to not want that <laughs> you know just one little piece in the puzzle but it's an important piece in the puzzle like every other piece in the puzzle well i just wanted to add this real quick so i mean you know Here's the deal. We don't know what the outcome is going to be for the Vaquita. We have no, we have no idea, which is why this film is very difficult from our previous projects. I mean, because we can't storyboard this stuff. I, I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. I mean, I, I, I just watch the news and then I have communication with people down there. I make several trips to kind of just stay on top of this issue. But the biggest thing is if we can pull the Vaquita out of this, this is great because the way that we're documenting this is that we're actually showing what that effort looks like. Okay. So essentially this film is going to be a message for the future when if ever faced with similar scenarios, which I believe we're going to have many more of these far into the future, unfortunately. But if we can show what that effort looks like, show the power behind it, and it happened so that maybe this effort happened a little bit too late, which is why we're down to these these low numbers. But you know, if the vaquita goes extinct for whatever reason, okay, or we know the reason, but if it actually does go extinct, we want this story to resonate with other species on this planet. Again, there's a lesson to be learned here, and if we can show it through the power of film and say, okay, what happened? First thing was we started too late. Okay, so now let's identify species way ahead of time where they could be, and then let's use a very similar model and passion and effort to address that species that's facing some sort of uh, decline itself. And if we can if we can jump ahead and anticipate this sort of stuff, which I already can give you the name of the next species behind the vaquita, which is going to be the Maui dolphin. The numbers are very, very close already. Very similar practice, not illegal fishing, but mostly just artisanal fishing practices. But if we can share that with the future, then it's not like everybody has to start from scratch. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel over and over again. 
um, 100%. You simply take what you know, and then you build off of that. And that's essentially what we're trying to do right now is to not only tell the Vaquita story, but to show what coexisting looks like. Yeah. And I think that that last bit that you just shared definitely provides me with hope, you know, regardless of the outcome that surrounds the Vaquita, obviously, hopefully it's a positive one. But regardless of that, the films that you're creating and the work that you're doing with the people in that region and number of different issues around the world, it definitely provides hope and it definitely will provide important resources for the future of the planet, regardless of what happens to the Vaquita. So um, for listeners, if you guys have been inspired by what Sean has talked about today on the podcast regarding wild lens and eyes on conservation, as well as all that he's doing with the Vaquita and his searching for the Vaquita film, I recommend that you reach out to Sean and ask him any questions you have, you know, suggest any ideas that you may have, and also take those actions like Sean and I talked about. Take those actions in terms of your food choices or spreading the message of awareness or going there and providing some um, alternative income to the people that live in this region of Mexico. So, you know, take some action. And if you do want to get in touch with Sean, when I post this podcast episode, I will be linking to wildlensinc.org as well as their social media channels. So you guys can connect with them there. And then I'll also be linking to vaquitafilm.com and their social media channels. So you guys can watch Searching for the Vaquita and see what we've been talking about today and, and also get in touch with Sean in that way. So, Sean, I want to thank you so much for all of the amazing work that you're doing for the ocean and just for the betterment of the planet in general. And I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Allison. I also appreciate you uh, allowing this opportunity so that we can get this message out more. You know, the more exposure the better. I just wanted to add a small thing, and that would be essentially what we want people to do is to use the film that currently exists and share it. It is an awareness tool. We encourage everyone just to share share the film. And then right now we're wrapping up a 30-minute film that we're going to be doing community screenings in Mexico as well as building campaigns in China as well to raise awareness with those audiences. So the idea is that we remember attack on all sides and raising awareness. So your your listeners definitely can play a part in that. Yeah, definitely. Share, share, share the film that I'm going to be posting with the podcast episode. So, yeah, Sean, thank you so much for all that you do. All right. Thank you, Allison. You take care. You just heard Sean Bogle, wildlife conservation filmmaker and the director of Wild Lens's latest award-winning film, Searching for the Vaquita, the world's most endangered marine mammal. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com and tune into next week's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.